0: Welcome to The Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot. On the Human Reboot podcast today, I have with me Lee Anderson. Lee is a life coach, CBT practitioner, podcaster, mental health first aider, living with his own mental health. He had a breakdown six years ago, which was the catalyst to him turning his life around and qualifying in occupational and social welfare and going on to support military personnel. He's a mental health advocate, raising awareness to help those who find it difficult to voice their feelings. He's now over in France. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do over in France?
1: Yes, I can. Emma, firstly, thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yes, so as Emma said, I'm Lee. Um, I'm now a life coach, a CBT practitioner and mental health first aider. I live with my own mental health issues and that was kind of the catalyst for me becoming a life coach and and helping and supporting others. I moved to France three and a half years ago because the hustle and bustle of city living was taking its toll. Even though I was kind of working on myself I had to understand more about myself, you know, I had to understand that certain conditions and environments that I was living in were also playing into that as well. So we made the bold decision to sell up and move to France. And to be perfectly honest, it was the best thing we did life has completely transformed. I've found balance and I think more importantly I've kind of found myself. Uh, I kind of know who I am. Um, I know who Lee is which is the first time in a very very long time that I've actually felt that.
0: Well, that's wonderful to know. So when did you start life coaching? So
1: I after my breakdown I switched jobs. I was already humming a horn because the pressures of work I think added to that but there was a lot of stuff that happened prior so I think on reflection you know I've suffered with mental health for about three decades and I think there's only so much that you can take before you kind of explode and from that point I had three months of work and I was like I need to do something about this I need to change something about my life and when you're told that you can't do anything and you have to stay and look after yourself that's when you start to kind of look from look within. So I changed jobs and went into the Army welfare service because I worked for the MOD for a number of years. And it was the opportunity that I needed, really, because it taught me how to see myself internally, you know, my behaviour, the way that I thought, the way that I acted. Um, and so I enrolled on their seven-month course, learned loads of theory, um, went back into academic put on placement was given clients and that really helped me to understand who I was and it also gave me a purpose you know I was doing something for the first time I enjoyed doing and I was being paid for it and it was also teaching me how to develop myself mentally physically and emotionally Uh, and it was giving me the tools that I've always searched for and so from there The MOD, the government always gives us courses to go on. So, you know, we have courses all over the place. So on top of the qualification that I got, which included life coaching, counselling and social work skills, been on care for caring courses, been on additional life coaching courses, um, safeguarding, merit courses, you name it, we went on it. Because we had to be everything. We were like a Swiss army knife to military personnel. You know, we had to give them as much support as we could emotionally and therapeutically as possible and that's kind of where it come from and I loved it you know I really enjoyed it when I went from my own counselling I was given CBT and that really resonated with me because I was really interested and curious about people and and why they were the way that they were why they functioned the way that they functioned and so to, to understand that I could change the way that I thought about myself was amazing because you only know what you know and you just you believe that what you know is the truth um, until someone challenges you and then you know then you kind of think well okay so that kind of led me down that road into where I am today and to be honest I haven't really looked back the mental health side of it came from going online because of the pandemic it gave me a kind of a, a, a safe space to talk about the part of me that I was understanding about myself and it just kind of took off from now it kind of resonated with a lot of people it started to have a bit of traction and it was kind of slightly fallen into the kind of style of life coaching that I was doing um, and I haven't really looked back since.
0: Fabulous so tell me about your Human Reboot story so i think there was a few when we've talked there was a few hidden in there um, in your past but i would love for you to be able to share um how you feel that you've rebooted throughout your life
1: there was quite a few wasn't there i think one for me was understanding where you are in life understanding what you want from life itself and i think one for me was was sexuality I came out when I was 26. I was quite quite old when I came out. I knew there was something different about me, but I didn't know what it was. The environment I grew up in wasn't really male heavily like wasn't dominated heavily by men. Um, I had an absent father. My uncle's kind of stepped in every now and again, but you know it was predominantly women I grew up with. Not that that has any hindrance on my my sexuality, but I think having that kind of figure there, I suppose, added to some of the issues that I had growing up in regards to abandonment and things like that but in regards to you know coming out as gay it was for me it was quite difficult because my perception or what i knew about being gay didn't fit my mould it didn't fit me and i felt that if i come out as being gay i had to change who i was and i really 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 struggled with that because i just felt there was a type and i didn't fit into that type I suppose that was my ignorance, really, um, on reflection, because you're led to believe something, so therefore it is. But it was only when I started to work in the city that I actually really started to kind of see the world as a bigger place um, rather than just the environment I grew up in. And then I started to realise that actually, you know, we come in all different shapes and sizes, and we all look different, you know, and who we decide that we fall in love with or sleep with is kind of irrelevant. You know, we're just given a label that we have to kind of have. And so that for me was... Difficult, not only because I had to tell people that I was gay, but also the fact that I'd kind of lived a double life almost. And so you're not divorcing a life, but you're now amalgamating two lives together to become kind of whole. And you're not too sure how you're supposed to talk, what you're supposed to say, how you're supposed to act. But you know that you're a complete. Well, I felt like a complete person. For me, I felt complete. I was like, right, people know my sexuality now. It's just another thing about me they're aware of. And once I dealt with that. It was no longer my issue you know if someone had a problem with that it was their problem it wasn't mine and there's so much power in that when you start to understand who you are and you're comfortable with who you are it was kind of it was good because I always wanted to be with friends that I could sit and talk about people that I were going to meet you know like boyfriends and things like that and so when my friends knew that I was gay they had the same act- i did and so we would sit down in the pub and have conversations about you know what it was like to be gay so i was educating them as well as educating myself so their their view of what gay people were like was changing because here they are sitting with one of their mates who's now told them that they're gay and so they started to realize that what they were led to believe about people you know people that were gay people was was not actually true it was it was totally different um and so that was quite refreshing because because then our relationships changed but in a really positive way in a really positive direction yeah um and I felt included because I put myself on the periphery of all of my friendships because I felt I had a secret I actually for the first time in a long time actually felt included you know that they were actually they could see me the way that I saw myself um and that was that was so it was so lovely actually you know just to be sitting with your mates and having people that you'd met come in and go is that your dude? And they'll be like, Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, Okay. Or they'll go like, What do you think about this shirt that I've got on? Or do you think I should get my hair cut like this? Or what do you think about that? And I'm just kind of like, Why are you asking me? But it was nice because they were trying. They were they were making an the effort. They were they were trying to understand. They were trying to understand how maybe they had got it wrong before, and how they were kind of rectifying their mistakes and how they were changing their perspective on things. And it was that was really cool. And that helped. You know, it really helped because you think to yourself that everyone's going to disown you because you're doing something so bad, but but you're not. Um, and then since then, it's never really been, never been a big thing for me. Do you know, it's just been another aspect of who I am. Um, it's never been, it's never, never really been an issue. I didn't really lose anybody in regards to my sexuality. If anything, I gained more friends. And so that was, that, that kind of reboot of me as a person um, was quite big you know, in, in respects of a sense of self um, and a sense of kind of self-love really as well, I suppose.
0: So it was almost like you were living in a way that you wanted to live, but then you didn't want other people to kind of see that part of you. And then when you did, it was like, oh, they've accepted me for who I am and that's
1: actually really amazing. Yeah, I think it was more, I didn't know and I didn't accept because I wasn't aware of how I was supposed to be. And so therefore, because I almost catastrophized the scenario that I built in my head, it was easier to keep it to myself and suppress it. But when, you know, when there comes a point where there's only so much that you can hold in and you're kind of like, well, something has to give you. And I remember the first time I said to myself verbally, I am gay, and I was like, oh my God, like, I really am gay. Um, and it was such a huge relief. And then you move on to the next part of it and you're like, "What? Right, who do I tell? How do I tell them? What do I say? And then, so you kind of just break it down to its most simplest form and deal with it step by step by step. Um, and I think the hardest person to tell was my mum. My mum was just kind of like, you know, I had to phone her up and say to her, I'm coming round, I've got something to tell you. Um, you know, if you know my mom, you know why I had to do it that way. And so I remember going in and she was sitting down, putting her makeup on. Uh, you know, you kind of pull your glasses down over your eyes to put your mascara on. So I walked into the dining room and she was like, what have you got to taste of me? And I'm like, let me just get a drink. And I had to really compose myself because I was on the edge of literally just dropping on the floor. And she went, have you got a girl pregnant? And I was like, no. She said, are you in trouble? And I was like, no. She went, are you gay? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, all right. And I was like, I remember peering around the door going to her and that's it. And she was like, yes, if you're happy, I don't care. And I was like, do you realise how much I've been turning myself inside out to try and tell you this? And she was like, as long as you're happy, I don't care. But a few years later, she did say to me that when I left that night, she kind of, she was crying because she started to then fear, you know, that, that maybe I was in some kind of danger for being gay, you know, people not liking it, that she wouldn't have any grandchildren because I'm her only son. Um, and so she said that she felt really selfish for that. And, you know, that really moved me because you don't really think about that with the other person. You're just more about telling them about what's been burdening you and not necessarily the impact it has on them. Um, so that made me really, really aware of of of, of that Um But she loves it now. You know, she loves the fact she's got a gay son. Do you know what I mean? Like, to the point that it's just really annoying. um, (laughs) (laughs) She's like, do you think me and you are like, no, we're not like them. Yeah, but I've got, no, there's no similarities. Just the fact you've got a gay son, that's it. You know, so that's where the similarities stop. But she she loves it. You know, she loves my husband as well. Um, And so, yeah. So that was a big thing for me. But there's stories in in between that to where I got to now that, you know, weren't so good. It was difficult for me because of the way that I look, the way that I am, and how, how I viewed myself. And that when you do that to yourself, it makes things 10 times more harder mm. because it's you that's putting that, that, that pressure on yourself. And it's you that's making it bigger than what it is. And really, at the end of the day, it is about you. And it should always be about you first, you know, about what you want and what makes you happy. Because the only person that can make you happy is you.
0: So you mentioned before that you had worked for the MOD for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that had any impact on how easy that was for you to come to terms with your sexuality?
1: Uh, no, because I didn't work for them until after. And oh, right. I, never, I never walked in and went, hello, my name's Liam Gay. It was never that, but I'd never hide it. So if people would assume things about me, then they can assume whatever they want. But if it felt if I felt the need to to to, um, to to correct them, then I would. But it was it was no it was nobody's business. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't walk in and go, "Oh, well, hi!" I mean, I've got fifteen kids. Not that you have, but do you understand what I mean? It's not. I sometimes not...
0: feel like I have. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've
0: got three, but times them by five, I'm nearly there.
1: <laughs> What's it like having fifteen kids? You know, if so, but but if people did or I felt the need to correct them, then I would. And then it would be like, oh, um, I didn't realise. I was like, well, why would you? You know, So that didn't bother me. But what it did do was, I remember when I sat in, so you had to go for like a four-level interview process to go into the AWS. And I remember sitting in front of the colonel and he was saying to me about something. I'm like, well, you know, as a gay man, and he kind of looked up and he was like, what, you're gay? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, I'd never have thought that. And I'm like, well, why would you? I said like, And again, I said to him, you know, you never know who somebody is until you ask them, because when you make assumptions about people, you kind of make it an ask it yourself. And so the conversation was, "What do you think about gays in the military?" And I was like, well, "Why not? You know, at the end of the day, you're not sleeping with them. You know, you're you're in the military to do to serve your country, to do a job. So why would you look at it any other way?" Because at that time, it was quite a draconian. And they were just bringing in the acceptance of, you know, LGBT in, um, in, the, in the military and that. So it was, it was quite a, it was, it was a good time because here I was kind of like, look, I don't see what your problem is. And they were kind of introducing that into that sort of thing. So it was, I enjoyed my time in the MAD. I learned so much in there. Um, and I learned so much about myself in there as well. But I think the some of the pressure of working in there kind of added to to the breakdown. Um, it, but I could have been working anywhere, to be honest with you. you. know, it was just it was just that it was it was just that time it was going to happen eventually.
0: So tell me about your breakdown and how you rebooted from that.
1: So my breakdown come after probably a few years of self medication and abuse. I'd got to the point where my insecurity was totally taking over me. My paranoia was pretty much all the time. I was got into a point where I trusted nobody, that I felt that I was being followed, that I felt that on the train. There was just these associations in my head that because I was seeing the same people every single day, that they were looking at me and they were judging me and they were making me feel really inferior, and and I'd get off the train and have panic attacks or I would throw my mobile phone away or I'd throw my watches away because I felt I was being tracked by them. And um, the day of my breakdown, I phoned no, the day of my breakdown, I phoned my mum, and I said to her, "Who are you with?" And she's like, oh, "I'm with so and so." I went, "Put her on the phone." And she put her on the phone and I went, How many kids have you got? And she was like, What? I went, How many kids have you got? And she was like, Are you all right? I went, Just answer the question. And she went, I've got four. I went, You're a liar. And I banged the phone down. And then she Then my mum phoned my husband and said to, said to him, like, What's going on? And he went, he went I don't know. Like, I think he's fucking he's cracking up. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's been really funny with me. He's tried to snatch the phone out of my hand and everything like this. And I run across the road to the neighbors and all I had was a pair of jeans and I was banging on her door. And um, she never answered the door, which was really weird to me. And then she looks out of her bedroom window I was like, Can you let me in, please? And she's, kind of, she's like, I can't. And Mark's standing at our front door going to me, Come in. And then that postman's coming around the corner and he's going to me, You're right? And I'm like, No. And I'm sitting on the corner of my road cuddling my dog. And I went, No, he's trying to hurt me. Right. And he's kind of like, Well, do you want me to phone you at the police or something? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I need. And I was literally just capitulating in front of his geyser. You know, I was just falling apart. And then I remember I phoned in an ambulance and then going into the house. Mark was like, Look, just come inside, please. So I went indoors and I am to Don't touch me. Stay away from me. And I remember family, I was pacing up and down the hall and he, then the ambulance turned up and I was telling them to fuck off. I was going to go away, go away. But they can't because they've got a duty of care. Mm-hmm. And then Mark's mum turned up and then she came in and they were standing in the hallway by the front door and she gave him a mint. Right. This is no, no word of a lie. She gave him a mint and I was like, why is she? Because I thought they were talking to each other about me. It was so badly that I thought they were colluded or doing something, so I snatched these mints out of her hand. I'm like, "Why didn't you offer me one as well?" And then <laughs> I asked sounds- her to leave. Yeah. I need to go. I swear to God, you, you couldn't. I, I couldn't even write this shit. So I had to ask her to leave, and she's like, "You're going to be on. Right. Just just go away. Get out of my ass. And like Mark was just kind of like, "I don't even know what's going on here." And so I'm shouting for the letterbox and my letterbox is like a foot off the floor. So I'm crouching on the floor, going to the, going to the ambulance, go away, I don't need you. I don't need you. And I'm like, look, we can't leave. We need to make sure that you're all right. And then all of a sudden, something just changed in my brain and I was like, all right, I'm going to put some clothes and I'm going to come with you. Because I thought, if I get in the ambulance with him, when we get to the hospital, I can run away. Because I felt I was, been, I felt I was being held captive in my house then. So I thought, if I get in the ambulance, I can leave and then I can run away. And I remember getting in the ambulance and Mark was standing by the door, the front door and he was just crying, he was just waving. And I got in the ambulance and they were driving. I was thinking, they're not going to the hospital, they're going the wrong way. And then the paranoia started kicking in again. And I had a cut on my head. And I went to him, and you're not going to dress my cut? And they went, no. And I went, but you've got a do your care to me to cut me regardless. And he was like, but, you, but are you in pain? And I was like, but I don't know. I said, but I've got a cut, so surely you've got to dress it. And then I started to think that they were in on the act as well. And so this is all going on in the space of like an hour and a half. So I got to the hospital, when I got out of the ambulance, I fell on the floor and I was banging on the window for them to say, like, for them to notice me so they could come out and help me. She was just looking at me and saying like, what is wrong with you? And then they took me into the reception and I remember this woman from the triage come up and she went to me, you need to be seen. I went, do I have to stay here? And she went to me, no. I went, so I can leave then, I'm free to go. She went, of course. So I run, I just run through this hospital and run out. And I had a phone, a watch, and a credit card. So I threw my phone, threw my watch away, and I kept my credit card because I thought if there's anything, if there is anything, I can at least get a drink or something to eat. And that pretty much, you know, that that was it. That was I, I kind of that was that was my breakdown. Um, and I ended up sitting outside the church for what seemed like an eternity. Um, I remember this woman stopped me. I was sitting on the corner of the road, and I was just sobbing, like literally just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And this woman stopped. And this little woman in a car. I said to me, "You alright?" When i went to a no she went can i take you somewhere and i was like no she went, can i help you when there's there's nothing that you can do like no one can help me and she went but you can't be sitting there on your own and i was like there's nothing you can do to go away and she drove off but she drove back around again and she stopped and she went are you sure and i was like yeah do you know what i mean there's nothing you can do and from there i walked down to this church and sat down at this church and just felt like, i felt safe there because i was within the church boundaries like so in my brain i'm like right well, i'm safe no one can touch me yet. um and then I think it must have been a few hours. And then my sister drove past. And then my other sister picked me up. I went back to the house. And then it kind of started from there, really. It was like, we need to get you some help. Um, I went for assessments. They was going to take me into a place called Oxley's. And I was like, look, I just want to go to my mum's. Like, I feel safe there. Like, you're, You haven't got the capacity to take me on. And it's not the right place for me to be. Um, I'd rather just go to my mum's and stay there. I feel more safe there. So I stayed there with her for a couple of weeks. And then slowly went back home because there were so many associations there. Um, I wanted to put a house on the market and everything, do you know what I mean? And it was just kind of like, look, we'll redecorate, you know, we'll shift some furniture about just to kind of make some subtle changes. Um, And I think I started the process then of kind of rebuilding my life uh, and kind of rebooting it, I suppose. And kind of from there, kind of led me to where I am today.
0: So did you, were you diagnosed with anything at any point then with... Um, around they
1: were. They, so they said to me that I had um, episodes of psychosis. They said that I was there was depression there and anxiety, which I already knew. But they wanted to keep me, take me in, and I was like, Look, I don't want to come in this place because if I come in here, I don't know how it's going to affect me. You know, like, I, I know that if I go home to my mom's and I stay there, then I can work for. Because I was scared they were going to give me medication, and I don't, I don't, I'm not a medication kind of person. Do you know what I mean? because I become then reliant on something. And so I knew if I went on some medication, I'd never come off it because I'd convinced myself I needed it to function. Um, And so by going home and I'm, I I kind of look deep in myself anyway. um, And I just shun the stuff that I don't want to look at, but I knew that I had to start looking at the stuff that I'd been hiding because that was the catalyst for me being the way that I was and for acting the way that I was. And so you know, I know that I've, I've had depression for years. Uh, I know that I've had mental health issues for years. Um, I knew, then I started to learn about, you know, attachment and I started to learn about abandonment. Um, then I started to learn about, you know, um, I had a really, really bad relationship before I met Mark. So there was a lot of issues with that as well that kind of added to it, like trust issues and things like that. Um, and so, and I knew that, that, how I was was a per as a person, I could work on that and I was willing to put that work in um and go into counseling and help that because it allowed me to talk. It allowed me to talk about what I was feeling without any any kind of judgment. When I was in counseling, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I want to be just like this bloke. And it pretty much, I remember when I first applied for the job, I went back to him and I went to him, I'm thinking about applying for this job, what do you think? And he was like, I can't tell you what to do. And I was like, but I just want you to tell me what you think. And he's like, I can't. I went, well, off record then. And he went, I'm not allowed. And I was like, all right, I respect that. And then I applied for it. And it was above, you know, it was above what I was doing already. Uh, it was a long shot, but I knew in my gut, it was what I had to do. I knew it was, I knew it was gonna, it was gonna, it's what I needed. And um, yeah, and I, I haven't looked back since.
0: So it's almost like the, the doorway to CBT um opened opened up more doorways to you
1: massively massively I by understanding who by understanding what I was thinking was then making me feel a certain way and then was making behave making me behave a certain way and I, and I had the, the power to change that changed everything
0: yeah. And I suppose that almost applying for that job and knowing how much training would be attached to it was almost in some ways in the beginning, like almost therapy for yourself to begin with.
1: Hugely, because, you know, don't forget, I'd, I'd been off of work for three months. So this happened in se- late September. So I was off October, November, December. I went, I went, I phased back to work for a couple of months and I went straight into this on May the 5th and I was away for four months residential and i was only going on weekends now i was suffering hugely with insecurity do you know what i mean and abandonment and i didn't trust my husband and all this sort of stuff so i was going away from home worrying about what was he going to do what's he got up to do you know what i mean even though he wasn't but i'd convinced myself that he was gone to purely based on old relationships and so i was dealing with that i was dealing with being on a course i was dealing with the fact that if i didn't pass certain exams then i was off that i didn't have a job to go to and you know i was also going through academic as well which i've not done for like 25 30 years and i wasn't that wasn't really my strong point i was learning so much about myself i was being completely turned inside out um you know and i'm sharing this with 24 other people as well and i was going through this whole process on my own um And then I was taking it home on a Friday night, crashing into his world for two days, leaving all the fucking devastation, and going back for another week to learn every day in classrooms and PowerPoints, which absolutely make my eyes bleed. Um, (laughs) Trying to understand my learning styles, um, you know. So, and I was this was I was doing this, and then I'm going through supervision, and I'm having to learn how to 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 um, to keep. Reflection notes and stuff, which I've never really been strong strong at doing. Uh, so you know, so it was really really hard. But I knew it was the right thing for me to do. I knew it every time I every time I was crashing, I was like, "But you're here. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Like, you know, you're supposed to be feeling this. You're supposed to be experiencing this because it's helping you understand. It's helping you get a better understanding of who you are." And so every time I picked myself back up, and I was like remember where you was, remember how far you've come, remember what this is all about, remember the bigger picture. And so that was keeping me going. Um, And it was making me a stronger person, it was making me a much better person. Um, And I was going to an even deeper level of understanding who I was, much to the detriment of my husband, because he was just kind of like, who the fuck am I getting this Friday? Who's coming home now? Um, And to the point it was like, do not come back and start cancelling me. You know, I don't need you to cancel me because my life is right. Um, And... Yeah. And so it was the best thing that I ever did. You know, it really was the best thing for me personally that I ever did. And I I thank my lucky stars that I got the opportunity to do it. It wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy at all.
0: Well, I I can understand that it it wasn't easy because when you are training to be a counsellor or psychotherapist, it's... You know, it's important, isn't it, that they know that you have dealt with everything that you need to deal with yourself. So you are definitely put through your paces.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I learned about that was in order to understand the experiences of others, you have to understand your own. Um, And, you know, someone's experience will hook into you at some point because we're human. But it's how we deal with it and how we give it back that is the important thing because it's not ours. Um, And I was never really one for supervision, but I realized just how important it was to go in and go, why am I feeling this way? Why has this bothered me? What is it about this that I don't understand? And to be able to talk that through um, really helped me. I think it helped me mature. You know, I think I I became a bit more grown up um, because I think not having a dad, and taking on responsibility at such a young age, you kind of miss out a lot on your childhood because you're responsible then for two other humans and you're responsible, you know, you're starting to do things that that I see as adults doing. And so you miss out on that. And so I always wanted someone to take care of me so I could then live out my childhood that I missed out on. Um, But then there comes a point in your life where you can have... The best of both worlds. Of you know, you allowed your inner you know, child to come out and play sometimes, and, and that's good because you understand what it is and how important it is. Um, and so, but, but going through that process, it allowed me to to be a bit more responsible. And you know, Mark will probably disagree with you on that, but but it does.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now that has made me laugh. So, um, you uh, told us at the beginning that you are also a mental health first aider. Yes. So um, why did you train to do that?
1: So it's part of the it's part of the course. You have to, you know, it's, it's part of of that whole package. And I've done it twice. And, again, it was something that I have a really, really, really healthy obsession in people. You know, I like to know what makes people tick. I'm very curious. Um, I like to know what people like, and I like to know their experiences because they're different to mine. But also understanding their body language, the language they use about themselves, the energy they have around themselves. And when when I'd sit in, when I sat on that two day course for the first time, there was a lot of things that I held back back about myself that I could have contributed to that. And it was only after we'd finished and I was like, I wish I'd said a bit more because I feel as if it was really important for me to contribute those. And so when we done it again, I actually then started to contribute a bit more about myself and talk about some of my experiences. And, other people on the call started to open up as well because it always takes one person just to talk. And that always stayed with me. And I think talking about my mental health, you know, I'll give both both sides. Like when I'm feeling up, I'll share that. If I'm feeling down, I'll share that as well because it is not, it's not linear, you know, it really isn't. And it helps people because one thing that I found is that with mental health, it's difficult to put it into words. It's really hard to articulate the way that you're feeling. And if someone uses something verbally that explains the way that you're feeling, you can use that then to explain yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes talking about things and getting getting it out of your head, whatever's in your head is can be such a massive, massive kind of relief and help to people. But what I do when I'm I train mental health and well being courses which basically has a mental health action plan within it which is in in essence first aid for mental health and you know when you are when you're trying to talk to people about how they might be feeling that moment it's trying to get them to understand that it is dynamic it does change it will get better but also whilst it's in your head it's almost irrational And it's only once you get it out of your head that you can start to rationalise it. And sometimes people, you know, I've found it really hard to speak. I mean, you wouldn't believe it, would you, you know, the amount I talk. But really, (laughs) I've, you know, historically found it hard to speak on a real kind of emotional level, you know, about my feelings. And I think part of that was kind of being in that corporate world for so long and being expected to behave in a certain way um but and that's really why I started writing you know why I started journaling and actually I started journaling and I started writing about my feelings and started writing about actually how I felt and and kind of describing those feelings in more detail to what they probably would come out as in my, you know, from my mouth. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But I think um really writing it down um really kind of helped me to kind of like rationalise thoughts, but also then got me to a point where, you know, where I thought, do you know what? I can post this on social media. I can put that message out there. I can help others by doing it. But also, then I can start talking about it as well. So for me, it's kind of, I had to kind of go through that process. So within the Human Reboot, which is, you know, my program, we do have um, a unit called Getting It Out of Your Head. And that really is starting to learn to get things out of your head because that was one of the biggest things for me was I kept I kept it all in and didn't explain to people like I left it and it was almost like the longer it was in there the longer the harder it was to get out
1: yeah totally agree with that um I done almost the same but I done I started to do videos um Because like you, I talk a lot and, but I'd never talk about myself. I would always try to support other people and facilitate other people because I could help them help themselves because it was allowed, it was allowing me to avoid what was going on within myself. And so when I started to talk about stuff, I was like, that's something different in my head. And then I was like, okay. And then I would then put it on video, but then I would criticize the way that I looked. And I was like, actually, it's not about whatever I look, it's what I'm saying. And then I started to think, so i just post these on Instagram and see what happens. And then it became a point that I could explain that if you kept it in, it made it worse. Because you're adding more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And then you're struggling about that struggle. And so the more I spoke about the way that I was feeling, the more it was helping me. And I was like, why have I never done this before? You know, why have I never documented this? Because sometimes when I'm feeling down, I'll go back and read, like, listen to, watch some of my videos. And I'm like, all oh, right, I remember what I felt like. And because sometimes the feelings are new, I don't know why I'm feeling them. Like, so today, for instance, I've, the last couple of weeks, I've been feeling really discombobulated, but I don't know why. And I can't work out why it is because normally I can track it back now. Normally I can work back and find out what it is that's made me feel this way. And I couldn't. And I've and I've and I haven't posted on social media for a couple of weeks properly. Um, and but I feel like I've got nothing to say, and I feel like that I have got nothing of value to add, and that really bothers me. And so I phoned my mum, and I was talking to her about it. And she went, "You're heading for a burnout." And I went, "Why did you say that?" And she went, "Because all I've heard from you the last couple of weeks is coaching clients, podcast." She said, "But I've not even heard nothing about you." You know what I mean? She went, "You need to step away." and be Lee for a little while and it really really rung true and I was like she's right you know because I'm trying to there's no room to put anything else there's no I no no ideas are fresh because I'm there's too many ideas in my head and so I do need to step away from it and 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 I've just been out for a walk with my dog as well because taking my dogs out for a walk is one of the most important things to me in regards to my mental health and just being present um and I remember walking around normally I listen to a podcast on my music and I never had nothing on at all and I was like she's so right like she's so right that I just need to kind of step away and reintroduce myself to myself and then by alleviating everything that's in my head will allow new ideas to organically grow and I think it's really important that sometimes how we think we should receive things isn't necessarily all this isn't necessarily the same sometimes we have to look for different signs and I think that feeling of discombobulation was saying to me, look, you need to ease up a little bit um, and you really need to kind of reinvest in yourself.
0: And sometimes we don't have all the answers and we just, you know, that is, you know, a lot of the premise of the reboot, isn't it? It's it's all about just pausing, just taking a pause, step off that hamster wheel, and just try and figure out what it is that you need to do to be able to step forward. And it might be that that pause needs to be a bit longer, you know, sometimes than other times.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree. um And it was it's just ironic, actually, that we're talking about rebooting, and I think it's time for a reboot. And just to add to that as well, it doesn't matter how many times you reboot your life if you need need. to reboot it reboot it
0: absolutely well if you think about it where where my human reboot came from was you know was all about well what was that what was always the answer from it isn't it well have you tried turning it off and turning it back off on again and that's kind of that's really what I had to do myself it was like right well you need to turn yourself off and turn yourself back on again and that's really what you know I had to do and that's really what I try and teach my clients is that we do need to learn to pause and for those of us that are quite work addicted and very passionate about what we do that's not easy and it's not no. something that you know that comes easy to you know to many people so you know i like i like i said to you i've been for i've been for a walk this afternoon just before recording this so um Yes, I'm all, all, all refreshed, although a bit croaky, because I think I've got hay fever. <laughs> but anyway, so tell me, how do you switch off to switch on and perform at your best?
1: So, as I said, the biggest thing for me is taking my dogs out, um, being out with those. Because I look at my dogs and my dogs think that, every, and my dogs believe that every day is a new day. And, and, it, and it is to them, even though they're, they're sometimes they're doing the same walk, it's like it's the first time they've been on that walk and it's the first time they've discovered that spot and the happiness and the joy that they get from that. And I'm like, That's it. I suppose that's eternal happiness, isn't it? You know, every day is a new day. Therefore, we're grateful for it and we'll enjoy it like it's the first time ever. And that's how my dogs are. And I think I've learned a lot from them and being around them because before or a couple of years ago, taking my dogs out was a chore and it was like an effort, whereas now, you know, I enjoy it being out because I get the benefit of being out and I get the benefit of being out in snow, sun, rain, sleet, wind. But it isn't about the elements. It's just about being out and allowing my brain to clear, to recharge, to re-energize myself and kind of come back and feel naturally tired but naturally rebooted and yoga i've taken up yoga for about four actually no since just before christmas and it's amazing (laughs) i swear to god i have never been so physically fit mentally it is just incredible you know the whole practice of breathing and poses and stuff like that i really really embraced it um, and I try to do it at least once a day, if not five days a week, because it's just, the benefits I get from it are unbelievable. You know, it allows me to switch off for that half an hour, 45 minutes, and it's just about me. Even though I've got dogs climbing over me and everything, I'm, I'm, I found the ability to, to drown that out now, which I never had. I mean, my brain was constantly on the go. I was always running at 150 miles an hour, but now I can slow things down. I really slow it down. And the benefits are just incredible.
0: That's amazing. I'm just picturing me um trying to do yoga with um yeah with a dog jumping all over me. I can't sit down without without mine jumping on me. She's like she's um she's my right hand woman. She really is. But you what know,
1: is, what breed have you got?
0: She's a Cavapoo.
1: Oh bless. She's
0: she's my black dog that keeps the black dog away. Mm.
1: Exactly then, exactly. I like that.
0: Um so yeah, I once wrote a um I wrote a blog about that or an article of some description but yeah. uh yeah but no but you are right about that they do treat it as a new day but it's like i didn't listen to anything on my walk today i just you know went and watched and talked to her and you know looked at the countryside and was thinking this is like this is i love this view up here and you know and literally every time i threw the ball for it i just love how she like if it gets stuck in a bush or that a little head goes down and their bum sticks up and a little tail's wagglingly waggling and the spaniel in her, you can just see comes out it's just really cute so yeah i know
1: I, I, you, yeah, I you, yeah. a lot of people that don't have dogs won't get that but those that do they will absolutely 100 understand that
0: i didn't get it i didn't get it as as i you know i didn't before i had the dog but um i knew that as part of my recovery i needed something that was going to help me to walk every day and would help me get out and so she's um she's 3 in October so I was you know well on my way to you know being you know bit um, well on my recovery route but I just knew that that having her and knowing that I would have to go out twice a day would no matter how kind of passionate or work addicted I became I would have to take a break would have to do it um yeah. and my husband always said I'm not dry. I'm not walking the dog it's your dog so, and that's fine. I just, she's mine. Yeah. So you can't have her. It's fine. She's my yeah.
1: dog. <laughs> Step away from the dog.
0: Step away from the dog. It's great.
1: <laughs> she's mine. It's you can have the house and the kids. I'm keeping the dog. <laughs> well, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a no-brainer
0: no it's it's great though sometimes you know if i ever need to you know i'll just take her upstairs and put her in between us in bed and then i can have a nice night's sleep
1: (laughs) (laughs) again if you haven't got a dog you will understand that concept but if you have you totally get it
0: (laughs) um just in terms of educating our audience, I think it would be great to kind of talk a little bit more around, um, we talked a bit about kind of mental health first aid, but we didn't really mm-hmm. expand on psychosis because this is something that often comes out in some of the training that I deliver, that people are very, very scared by that word and um, feel that people are quite threatening when they're, you know, potentially in that sort of state.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so when you just said that word to me, I was kind of like, oh, shit, because it is because then you're for me, it's like I'm, I'm going back to think. So when I was in when I used, to, I used to experience episodes of psychosis in different situations and, you know, on the train, um, at work, at home, um, even when I was out, but mainly it was it was at home and I would convince myself of these really weird things that, that someone had broken into my... So we were on a holiday once and I felt that someone had been into my house. I convinced myself I could see footprints in the rug. Um, I'd taken all the pictures off the wall, pulled all the backs off of them, thinking it was all wires in there. I started to pick the wallpaper down the corner of the room, thinking that they'd bugged the, sort of, the kind of a room. I was putting um, carpets up, Um, I was undoing the back of the TV, thinking that there was stuff in there. I was deleting apps on my phone, thinking that um, they were uh, bugging my phone. Um, And even for like four or five years, I stopped using Apple phones because I felt that they were linked into everything. And I made him him change everything to um, Samsung um, because I just believed that I was being followed and I was being bugged and they were trying to find out bits of my life. And um, I wouldn't use my card in certain places. Uh, I'd always draw cash out of the machine, so I'd use cash that was my trace. Really, really convinced that I was being followed. I wouldn't watch certain things on TV because it would trigger me. Um, and sometimes I wouldn't even get out of bed because I just thought if I stayed in bed, I was safe. And you know, I had to crawl over me and no one could get in and no one could get out. I wouldn't even go to the toilet because I thought if I did, that they would see my um, carbon footprint. That's how bad it got. And if I saw a name on TV, then all of a sudden there was association. I think, right. And I would then try to find ways to track it back to myself. So if I see the name um, like Leon, I'd go, right, let's think about me because my name is Lee, so there's this O on N there. And and that's how I'd go. My brain would be going really, really, really over time trying to find out where that fitted in with me. And it was just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. If my husband was on his phone, I would snatch his phone out of his hand because I think he was he was like um, telling people what I was doing and he was like, he'd be texting his mum, And I'm just kind of like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, well, I know you're doing this really. You just quickly changed that, didn't you? Yeah, like, I know you did. And he'd be like, like there is something wrong with you like you need to go and get some help and I thought like, there isn't it's you you're making me feel this way what you're doing is making me do this and so it was just it was it was mad and then I'd get up the next morning as if nothing had happened and I'd be like shut up I wasn't doing that and he's like I'm telling you now this is what you was doing and I was like I'd have no recollection of it um but then there'd be some that I would you know some of the things so the ones I'm telling you I remember the things he was telling me I was like absolutely mm. no. so
0: with psychosis it's like that you get delusions isn't it so that you can see things or hear things or feel things things that other people can't see so that aren't there in reality they aren't there
1: so i would think that i would think that if i had plugged the phone in by the side of my bed that there was an electric current going through my body and they were then putting things into me through my phone through the bluetooth who are they I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you know that, like, you know that. Like if you was outside and the streetlight flashed, I'd be like, "There's a camera in there taking a picture of me." Like that's how bad sometimes it got. Like literally like that. I'd sit in the back of cars, thinking that if I sat in the front, like especially in a cab driver, it, it, his phone would have a camera in it and would take a picture of me. So I'd always sit so we couldn't. I couldn't see that, and he couldn't see me in the mirror. Um, I'd put myself right in the corner. Uh, just really strange things because I was so conscious of the fact that I was being watched. But I don't know where that. For.
0: yeah and and it's it... <laughs> often people who have psychosis are the ones that are that feel more threatened than we do um when someone is in a psychotic state
1: yeah because you think oh i felt as if everyone was out to get me so that day that they took me to the hospital and i and i, and I escaped and i run up the road i run into the hospital that i was born in um but every time i had an ambulance i was diving in bushes and i was hiding behind trees and i remember getting into the into the hospital and i say to the guy look there's my credit card there's my name i was born in hospital X amount of years ago I needed to admit me because I think people were chasing me people were following me and he was like mate look unless you've been born here as in a baby now or you're pretty much in you know the last parts of your life we can't admit you it's not that kind of hospital anymore and I was like but I need you to because they're, they're trying to get me and he's like who are they and I was like I don't know but I just know it sounds really mad and it sounds really crazy but I just need you to help me and he was like look let me phone somebody and I was like but there's no one you can phone and he's like well do you have any family and I was like yeah but I can't know I don't want their phone number it's just in my phone so like, well, where's your phone I, was like, I threw it away so So I'm saying this stuff to them. So the reality of it is, is that can you believe me? And I'm telling him this stuff saying, I know you're not going to believe me, but you have to believe me, but it's not registering with me that what I'm saying is this guy's crazy. Um, and so I left the hospital and I run up the road and I felt that every car and van that came down the road was looking at me to stop to throw me in the back of the van so I'm dodging in out of traffic and there was some work being done on the pub at the top of the road that I needed to go down but I thought everyone was looking at me in the pub because every time I got closer they stopped working and looked out the window but they weren't but that's what I could see and because it was the road that I wanted to go down so my brain had already convinced me that you go up that road they're going to grab you and then they're going to give them to the people that you're running away from and the ironic thing was was the ambulance that picked me up from my house drove past me and I thought they were chasing me so I run back down the middle of the road in traffic to avoid them and then I run down this road in the middle so I thought if I could see a car coming up or coming down I could hide behind cars that's how much you're convinced that people were trying to get you mm-hmm. and there was an old it's funny I remember things now so there was a you know the van like a day the daycare van daycare bus where they drop off old people and pick them up yeah one of them was coming up the road towards me, and I remember diving underneath this tarpaulin, and it stopped right next to it to let this old girl get off. And I heard her chatting to the bloke, and she was chatting, he was chatting back to her, and I was in there literally thinking to myself, he's going to see me in a minute, he's going to see me in a minute. And I had to wait for him to leave before I could get out from my this tarpaulin and carry on running. And that's when I got to the church and stayed in the church, thinking that no one's going to touch me there. Because I'd convinced myself, if I get to a church, it's neutral ground. It was, you know, in that sense. So it is, you, you're... You're not threatening people, threatening you. You feel as if people were trying to get you. That they're that they're trying to get. And then all of a sudden you have like glimmers of reality, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, why am I thinking this? What is happening? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god! Like someone's coming out the road a bit hide again, and and it really is. And then all of a sudden it will just dissipate. It will go. And you're sitting there and you're just kind of like, I remember sitting in my mum's kitchen after and I was breaking down, like sitting by the fridge, going to get a drink out of the fridge at night time and just crying. And I remember my sister coming in and going, what's the matter? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, bruv, seriously, you just need to give yourself some time. Like, you just, you need, you're obviously going through this and you need to just go through it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know you're safe here. Just just, just do what you got to do. And I was like, but I'm sitting there crying on the floor. She was like, don't worry about it. Here, here's a box of tissues. And I was like, why are you being so nice? And she's like, well, why else, where else am I supposed to be acting? You know, what have you done wrong? And I was like, well, I don't know. No, I feel like I'm in trouble. And she was just kind of like, why? And I'm like, I don't know.
0: And I think people think that, you know, people think that people with psychosis are people potentially with, you know, with perhaps, you know, schizophrenia or um you know all you know could be anything but are highly dangerous you know and I think you know there are situations where people have been highly dangerous in those states but also there you know there are a lot of people that have got severe depression that are you know that have developed psychosis as a part of that and and like you said, have p- periods of real lucidity as well. So um yeah, and also some people as well can have feel completely the opposite as you do you did and and um feel completely and utterly like, well hey, I'm go I'm gonna go meet the Queen tomorrow. Or you know, it, it can be completely the opposite as well, can't Thank it? You know and imagine all these kind of delusions of grandeur and things like that so you know so there is that part of it but yes um yeah so thank you so much for sharing that because it is a real difficult kind of thing to talk about um you know and you know and labeling yourself as you know crazy i think that's one of the things that is really challenging when we're trying to overcome stigma and things like that, because you know, how, how else do we explain it?
1: Yeah. I think that for me now, because I know me and I've got so much more balance in my life and I'm more self-aware and, it was who I was. And the only way that we're going to help people that are feeling that way is talking about it. So it isn't about me anymore. You know, that, that part of my life isn't about me anymore. It's about other people. So I'm happy to share that. There was a part, there was a stage that I went through thinking, should I be talking about this stuff because of the impact it's going to have on my family? But again, it came back to me. You know, it was, it was, it was, it's, it was about me. It started from me, you know, and therefore it's my mind to share, it's mine to pass on. And, you know, I'm quite happy and open to talk about it because I'm kind of over that part of that stage now. You know, I still have issues with my mental health and I always will, but I don't allow that to dictate who I am. And I manage that. So therefore I've taken the power away from that. So I know that if I'm feeling a certain way, I'll sit with it. I'll acknowledge it. I'll understand it, and then, right, well, that's it. Let's 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 now stop that process of thought. Um, you know, let's get rid of those intrusive thoughts and, and move on to something else. With the fact, I'd let it consume me to a point that I'd be stifled. But now I'm like, right, well, all right, every five minutes, and then you can do one, <laughs> and and that's how I, I deal love that. with. It. But, but that is, I mean, but I do because so you know we were full with we thought stopping as you know you know a CBT technique is is I give it a name so I call mine Diane. And when she comes and like dying, is it a fact or are you just making it up? If you're making it up, you can just do one because if it's fact. Give me some evidence, you know, let me know where you're going to reinforce that. And so by talking about that in that way, it's making that thought smaller and smaller and smaller because then you're concentrating on well, where is the evidence for this? And then all of a sudden you're thinking about something different, you know, because you're tricking your brain. And so in that sense, and, and when I'm having a bad day, it's not a bad day anymore. It's a bad couple of hours. Yeah. If I'm feeling shit, okay, why are you feeling shit? Well, I just want to feel shit so leave me alone. Okay. and then I'll go away and think about it and come back and not allow it then to ruin the rest of my day Yeah. but if it does it doesn't ruin it it's just something that I have to go through so I completely shift the way that I look at stuff and I've completely changed my mindset as in this is who I am it's part of me so therefore let it work for me rather than against me
0: and mm-hmm. at that point I would love to ask you what is your flourishing formula for living so like, what kind of mental fitness tips or mantras or I don't, things um, you live
1: by? I never smiled. For for, for for many, 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 many years, I never smiled because number one, I would convinced myself that I, I didn't have a good smile. Number two, I had nothing to smile about, but I smile now. I smile a lot. I smile at myself in the morning and the middle. When I wake up, I will wake up and allow myself to just be, just acknowledge how I'm feeling. And then I will say to my husband, you know, I did sleep all right, I was, you know, morning and stuff like that because I want to start it off. And because sometimes I'll get up in a bad mood, but I'll acknowledge that. Um, and so and I would go to myself I'd look in the mirror and go alright mate how you doing and I'd have to answer myself back um, as I said the yoga some kind of fitness you know for me fitness is a good thing because if I can sweat it out or I can concentrate on um, focusing on myself in a physical sense helps I stopped drinking so I've been 273 days sober um, so that's really helped um, that was always a massive crutch for me you know the 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 marriage that me and alcohol had um, was never a linear process, let me tell you. But now we've divorced, and um, yeah, we've had a, a very conscious uncoupling, let me put it that way. Uh, and I've not looked back since. And as I said, yoga and dog walking for me, they are, you know, getting out and 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 allowing yourself. Because as I said to you a bit earlier on, it is easy sometimes to not show up for yourself we're all we're all victims of that especially if we work for ourselves and you know we're a little bit of a workaholic sometimes it's difficult to think that if we step away it's going to fall to pieces but if we stay long we could be the one that falls to pieces
0: yeah absolutely are there any people books podcasts that have um inspired you and uh, helped you along your journey
1: yeah so for me You know, social media and these little rectangle screens have been the window to the world for me, they really have. They've allowed me to connect with people that I wanna connect with, people that have really elevated and supported me, um, people that have inspired me as well um there's a couple of podcasts and the actual people that host now become friends of mine so there's one called the waffle shop guy called taylor he's really really good um there's another one called the mind your head podcast a guy called rob and a guy called tom they're really good as well they've become friends of mine um i've started i don't i I, I struggle to read i can't concentrate long enough so i listen to audio books um the happy place is another good podcast with fern cotton um, who else do I listen to I've read a, I've listened to a couple of books because obviously being out I stay out longer as well um, so I listen to some of those people my husband you know he just kind of takes things it's water for ducks back I just say to him right just listen you haven't got to really switch on just listen I just need to you, need you as a sanding board and he'll just carry on doing what he's doing and it will go in one ear and out the other and that's all I need and then when I go to him right I need you to give me something and he'll be like what am I I need your attention I need you to tell me what you think about this and then he will. And I'm just kind of like, that's not what I want to hear. But it's good advice. <laughs> I have to just go away and digest it. So he's really good. Um you know, my family's really good. They 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 know me now, you know, since since the breakdowns and, and and you know, telling them about how I kind of got there. And they were just kind of like, all right, let's just fix it. then. Do you know what I mean? So they kind of know me more now. Um and as I said to you, you know, I'm Lee. You know, one of the best things about moving somewhere is that you can reboot yourself.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: So you can find me on Instagram at Lee Anderson coaching. You can check out my website uh, at Lee Anderson coaching as well. Um, The podcast is the struggling mind podcast. And I think I'm on LinkedIn as well at Lee Anderson coaching. So you can find me pretty much on social media. Um, And listen, if you need to talk, reach out, DM me or, you know, anybody, but just don't keep it to yourself.
0: Absolutely. And if there was any advice you could give anyone, what would you, what would you give them?
1: The one piece of advice that I was given, I think, was you're not alone, you know, and I know that sounds really corny, but you're not, because by sharing or talking about what you're feeling will alleviate so much of that, because it's not yours anymore, because you've shared it and you know a problem halved a problem shared is a problem halved so by allowing yourself give yourself permission to talk about the way that you're feeding
0: thank you so much lee for sharing your story so vulnerably and i'm sure filling a few people's cups today
1: you're welcome thanks for inviting me on i really appreciate it
0: thank you for listening to the human reboot podcast i'm emma Last And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot.